Welcome back to the Read Connected podcast. Today, we're joined by Marissa Brainy, who's an Emmy award-winning, dynamic and versatile television host, lifestyle expert, and media coach. A former news anchor and born storyteller with a gift of gab, Marissa is a well-versed media professional who has spent nearly two decades immersing herself in all aspects of the business, appearing regularly on national and regional TV for almost 20 years. As a host, brand ambassador, and on-air lifestyle expert, Marissa has partnered with some of the nation's biggest brands in the food and lifestyle space, including her role representing Cuisinart as the brand's national ambassador on QVC. She has worked with dozens of prominent companies like General Mills, Amazon, Olay, Secret, Bath and Body Works, Blue Diamond, and Kendra Scott to bring their messaging to life on camera. Marissa uses her breadth of knowledge to teach others as a media coach and consulting, developing her client's strategy and helping them expand their reach and make the most of any exposure opportunity that comes their way. In addition to her television career and running her business, Marissa is a proud mom to two sons, Kennedy and Ashton, and daughter Lila. Having also lost her first daughter, Charlotte, to birth complications in 2014, Marissa is a passionate advocate for pregnancy and infant loss awareness initiatives that support families who've lost their babies. Additionally, Marissa and I go way back as we started our undergraduate careers together at Loyola University in Maryland, also formerly known as Loyola College. I'll never let that one go. <laughs> Marissa, we're so glad we had to have you here today. I'm so happy to be with you. And I'm you know, so honored that you thought of me for this um, to really just um, speak to mental health and the way that it plays into our career and our life and our and our journeys. And I love what you and Jerry are doing to really um, open minds and hearts and eyes to all of the things that go along with taking care of ourselves. So thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks, Marissa. I think this is a story of social media gone right because over the years, as I moved to Boston away from New Jersey, You and I have separated our paths a little bit, but I always feel so connected through the stories you share. And every time we come together, it's like no time has passed. And I really appreciate that aspect of social media because I think it's brought, you know, so many of us, especially from college together and continuing to stay in touch, to know parts of each other's lives. And, you know, the thing I love about your presence on social media through your work is that you are so real with your life, right? You're not just putting on a persona as we've talked about here on the podcast before. You're really showing your true self and knowing you for all these years, I know that for sure. But I hope the the your followers, your audience, those who you work closely with really appreciate that because that's so unique and that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And, you know, I'm honored to call you uh, an old dear friend for many years. And yes, we do go back, you know, geez, 20 years now, which is hard to believe and wrap my head around. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it's so true what you said. I think that, you know, for me, I've always been a person who has craved connection and thrived on connection, um, you know, with my small circle and with my big circle, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that changes as we age. But I think that that really truly is one of the beautiful things about social media is that connection and the way that we're able to access it in, in you know, such a dynamic way 
over time and really do kind of get a glimpse into people's lives who ordinarily we might not be able to kind of see the the journeys uh, in an up close way if we live far apart and you know, we have the busyness of our our lives going on. So I feel the same and I appreciate what you said about realness. It's something that, you know, I've um, thought about quite a lot over the course of my career and now talk a lot about with my clients who, you know, are looking to do media work or television work or, or expand their, you know, their, um, their reach in some way. Um, it's so important because it's so easy these days to kind of get caught up in, um, the pace and the volume of information that we're exposed Mm -hmm. to. And, And I think there's sometimes pressure to, to be something maybe that we're not. And so I just, I really do value that authenticity and I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but um, it really is so important, um, especially in this digital age. Yeah, for sure. So before we dive too deep into where we are now in our media lives, I I really want us to focus on, on your journey because becoming a journalist is no easy task. Ironically, I started out my educational career in college focused on broadcast journalism. And I, I laugh often that I ended up doing this podcast and, you know, doing, you know, talks and speeches and doing professional development around education and mental health. And I think it's so interesting that I've come back around because even though I'm not you know, in front of the screen or often behind the microphone, except for here on the podcast, I I feel like I've brought a lot of those tools that I learned back in the day before I switched over to my degree and my my path in education. I feel like I've brought a lot of that with me and I'm always still learning and I'm sure you have plenty of tips to give me too. But yeah, I want to talk a little bit about how that became your journey, your passion, because since I know you back at Loyola, you were so passionate about that work and really finding ways to communicate and connect people with information. And, you know, tell us a little bit about how that became your career path. Yeah, well, I think you said it. I mean, even back in our college days, I was sort of laser focused on this mm-hmm. career path. Even even from the time I was like eight or nine, I remember just really being fascinated with the idea of you know telling stories through television, the way that um, journalists, particularly TV journalists, were really given this this eyewitness to history in a way that was so interesting to me, such a responsibility to me, and something that I just always found so exciting and intriguing. And you know, I, I felt that way my whole career, and so I, mm. I you know sort of set out knowing I knowing I wanted to do that. Um, but Loyola was not a school that was, you know, one of these big broadcast journalism (laughs) schools. It was just, I just felt such a connection. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt such a connection to Loyola when I visited. I knew that's where I wanted to spend my college years. Um, and we figured out a way, you and I, and a few other select people (laughs) to kind of start this TV station on campus. I also was fortunate enough to have some great, you know, transformative internships when I was in school. And, you know, I kind of just did a lot myself, just figured out kind of how to make um, like a tape to send to stations. And that's, you know, what you do when you're applying for jobs in this field is you you have like a resume reel, um, you know, some examples of you storytelling on camera. Um, and so I, I did that through my internships. 
And I sent out like that summer after we graduated, I think like 40 different Mm-hmm. tapes at least i was at the mail i was at the, the the post office every week with a stack of mail like you know vhs vhs <laughs> wait tapes. what are those again like, most of our listeners oh, yes. might not even know <laughs> <laughs> um very old school you know before we were able to send things on our phones yeah. i would you know tape them and send them out to news directors around the country and i took the first on air job i got which is to this day something i tell I've told every intern and every client I've had is like, just get on air because yeah. you have to start somewhere and you you really only get better by, by doing it. Um, and so that job was in upstate New York. Um, it was a part-time three days a week, uh, what, what we call in the business, one-man banding job, which means you shoot all your own video, you edit everything, you write the story, you, you appear on camera, like you do it all. You're a, you're a, you're a one man or one woman package. Um, and so I did that. I, I, I picked up and moved to a little small town that I had never heard of where I knew no one <laughs> and started my career. And it was it was just all I could ever ask for in terms of a first job. I had amazing mentors. I made some of my best friends there. I did work at Starbucks the other four days a week to pay my rent because it was $9 an hour for three days a week. And my parents were like, what? Um, But it was just incredible. And I, and I worked up to full time and I was there for two years. I did everything there was to do at that station. Um, I think there were three reporters total. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we really did a little bit of everything I produced. I anchored, I worked overnights. I, you know, just all kinds of crazy hours and crazy situations. Um, and then from there, you know, hey, the Marissa, TV I'm news sorry to business. interrupt you. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah, sure. Just while yeah, we're on this absolutely. note. So this is like the, mm-hmm. this is the origins, right? This is the beginning stages when you really got into this. And uh, working with athletes and people who are talking about their stories leading up to where they are now, where they're high performing, they talk a lot about like the emotional experience of it all is quite different when they're younger. And so I wanted to just get your experience. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, what was it like emotionally and like what was your mindset like back then versus as you kind of progressed in your career and kind of the pressure came on and so forth? Like what was how did it feel? What was your mindset in these early stages? Such a great question and such an interesting one. Um, you know, I started at that station the week of the 2004 election. So it was wow. fall of 2004. Um, and I was so green. I mean, I was 22 years old. I knew nothing about the world, you know? And it was like, okay, here, go report on the mortgage crisis. Like as a 25-year-old, you know, like all of these really big meaty topics that, you know, I was scared. And, you know, there there's a lot, said, uh, there's a lot to be said about, you know, sort of having your head down and, you know, just really just focusing on your career at that stage of your life. And I was very focused on my career and I, I was just learning as much as I could. And so the emotional side of it, you know, there was definitely this idea of, uh, how am I supposed to do this? Like, I, I had no idea what I was doing. But there was also just such an adrenaline rush and an excitement around learning and figuring it all out and really absorbing everything I could 
both about really the adult world that I was just sort of entering into, right, as a, as a young person, but also the community that I was getting to know. And this is something that I always come back to about what I loved so much about being in TV journalism was that when you move to different areas um, and you're reporting on them, you really get this like crash course on like what makes a community tick. Like what are the issues that are, you know, that they're passionate about that, you know, what are some of these ongoing things that are happening in society in that particular sect of the country? And so to me, as someone who, you know, just is a life, like I love to learn. I'm just a very curious person. I've always been that way. It was so exciting to, to sort of just dive right in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at the time too, when you're young, you know, it, it, you don't have the responsibilities that you have as sort of a middle-aged adult. It's a different <laughs> world. You can really, really like immerse yourself. So emotionally, it was, you know, I think equal parts like terrifying and thrilling <laughs> at once, mm-hmm. um, but just really a whole lot of hard work and um, just really being just, again, just very, very focused on what can I do to get better? What do I need to know? Like, how can I excel at this career I've chosen and and just really giving my all to that? Yeah, I appreciate the, the openness there because um, when you're scared and you don't know what you don't know, um, the silver lining of that is that there's actually a lot of room to grow. <laughs> like when you're young, there's so much ahead of you that you can get better at. And so that's really cool that, you know, I think Alexis and I share that commonality too, is like, you just, you're so curious, you're excited. It's like the athletes we work with, you know, sometimes they talk about being nervous and you can translate or interpret that nervousness, not only as nervousness, but also as excitement. And that kind of helps you to propel yourself into these hard moments to uh, reinterpret it as excitement. And that seems to really, uh, when you lean into that, that can really get you through, you know, the uncertainty when you just want to learn. Yeah, it it's so true. And it's funny because I, like, I would not describe myself as like an adrenaline junkie. Like, I don't like roller coasters, like scary <laughs> movies. No, like, I'm not really that type of person. But the adrenaline of live television, I love. And it's a totally sort of different feel, but it almost like it's this challenge and it's this excitement level that I've always sort of seen, even from very early on in my career, as like something I can just like go out there and crush it with. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I certainly wasn't always that way, but when I was first starting out, that was the goal, right? Like that was, it was like, okay, how can I get better at this? What can I do to practice to think better on my feet and be able to talk for long periods of time without pausing or without, you know, seeming confused or so um, it's just funny psychologically to hear that. And I, I do feel, you know, I, I think you're hitting it on the head. I'm sure a lot of athletes go through that in various ways throughout their careers as well. I just wanted to bring it back to when we were back at school, you know, thinking about being curious and passionate. You know, we were at a school that was, it was in line with our values, right? It was a Jesuit mm-hmm. school who did a lot around social justice and helping the community, helping other people. And I think that's what attracted us to it because it wasn't just about focusing on one thing. It was really about focusing on a community and society. And we both, I think, went there knowing what we wanted to do and it didn't exist, right? And I think- right. The coolest part about that, and I haven't thought about this in so long, I'm glad we're talking about this because 
we took something that didn't exist and we brought it into creation. Like we were like, no, we're doing this. And at the time, you know, I was into sports. I thought I was going to be a sports broadcaster back in the day. And, you know, you took the news feed and, and you took the news department and you created the entire thing. I mean, we really didn't have too much. We had maybe a handful of broadcast courses underneath our belts from other places and a little bit of the technical work that we had, you know, toyed with, but we were really doing it all. Talk about one man band. You know, we were really putting everything together by ourselves. I think we were both the on-air people, the producers, the writers. (laughs) I think we did all of it while we were taking these classes that were often unrelated from what we were doing in the newsroom. And I I just want to, you know, double down on this for a minute because a lot of our listeners, a lot of the clients Jerry and I work with, they often have these dreams and aspirations, but they're not sure where to get started. They might not Mm -hmm. see it in, you know, the people that they know or in the community that they're a part of. And that can sometimes stifle their whole process. And I think, you know, one of the biggest messages you were just sharing about your first job, and I think also goes back to when we were in college, is if there's something that you really know in your heart that you should be doing and you have a skill set to do it or a desire and a curiosity to pursue it, you got to just do it. You just got to put yourself in there and just see what happens. It's true. It's so true. And I've heard from so many young people over the years, um, again, like interns and things like that. I've always loved having interns like throughout the course of my career because I was able to just like, you know, really explain um, my experience, you know, starting out, but also just tell them like, you know, there's, if, as you said, if there's something you want to do, you're not going to get good at it by not doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just by Mm -hmm. thinking about it, you're not, that's not going to build a skill. That's not going to build, you know, that, that fire more like you're, there's a huge difference between just thinking of doing something and wanting to do it and actually just starting. And you, you don't have to start at this high level. I mean, you know, there's so many ways now to, where if people have a desire to have a, a career in television, I mean, we have television cameras in our pockets, basically, <laughs> you know, like yeah. there's just, there's so much opportunity for media now that that, that did not exist when you and I were, were starting out. So yeah, I always say that, uh, you know, to people is that if you want to try it, just try it. And, you know, there's just, there's so much to be said for just giving it a shot and seeing how it goes. Like you, you just really don't know until you are out there doing it. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Marissa, can I ask you this question? Cause um, you know, part of our work is helping individuals to grow and to be, you know, put themselves out there, which is being vulnerable, but also to feel like you have a secure base to fall back to that, you know, number one, you're going to have honest feedback because, you know, honest feedback is part of growing, um, but also to feel like you're going to keep your confidence. You're not going to just fall apart when, you know, you get critiqued or things are not going well or things fall apart. And, you know, we all know that like nothing's perfect and like where you got to, and you know, where people get to, it takes time. It takes emotional resilience. So, um, you know, we definitely know, you know, we've had people in our lives to really kind of uh, keep that foundation alive and it's not something that just, uh, you know, we take for granted. It's very important. Um, so, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, who, who was that for you or, you know, where did yeah. you get that? Or was it in different places for yourself? So for sure, my parents, I've always had incredibly su- supportive parents who, um, 
you know, have really just been all in on my dreams, my aspirations, you know, have followed my career journey with such passion and such love and um, acceptance of, you know, moving around and choosing, you know, a path that, you know, certainly is not a moneymaker of of any kind, (laughs) especially in the initial years. And, you know, just the way that they um, were just so happy for me that I was going after something that I dreamed about. I I just, I hope to be that for my kids and I strive to be that for my kids as well, because it is, it it truly is a foundation that I think I, I feel so grateful for. And I know is not everyone has. So I will start by saying that the other thing I will say about confidence and, you know, being able to maintain um, that resilience is, one of the things that has helped me um, throughout my career, because I've always been a person who's a bit of a people pleaser. I've sort of always, or at least I always saw myself that way as like a young person. I think I've come a long way from that. But um, one of the things that I tell people often is that, you know, many fields, not just television, many fields, um, are subjective to a certain extent, right? Someone's opinion of you is totally subjective in in certain areas and they're you know they're you beyond giving it your all doing the best you possibly can showcasing your skill set well being prepared being hardworking, all of those things being good at what you do beyond those things there are a lot of factors that are totally out of your control <laughs> that you know that that sort of impact um, whether or not you're going to get a job, whether or not you're going to, you know, I always used to say like a news director or, you know, a decision maker in the television world can watch my piece or put in my, you know, my resume tape. And in the first few seconds, for whatever reason, just be like, you know, I don't really like her. There's something about her, you know, maybe it's the way she says a certain word. She uses her hands too much for my liking. I mean, again, totally subjective things. Whereas like the next <laughs> person might watch that very same piece and be like, I love her. She's so relatable. She's exactly what we're looking for. You know, yeah. you just don't know and you can't control it. You know, it's it's totally out of your control what, what someone's opinion of you is in, in a subjective way. And so I think initially I found that um, sort of like off-putting and scary but it, I've gotten to a point in my career, and and actually for the prop, probably the last half of my career, you know, the past decade or longer even, where it's actually been comforting in a way because it's like, mm. okay, well, I did everything I can possibly do. This is the best I've done. I know that this is great, you know, great stuff. Um, I that's all I can do, you know. Like their opinion of me now is out of my control, and it's almost like a a relief in some ways <laughs> um, to a certain extent. So I think just another aspect of like something that you sort of develop to and, and grow to kind of accept and, and actually even be at peace with. That's great. That reminds me of what Jelani said in the first episode of the season with casting and auditioning for Broadway shows and, you know, lead parts is that he said, as long as I'm going to show up and be myself, they want, the full version of me and it's not personal it's really right. what they're looking for and somebody else will appreciate mm-hmm. you know his full self because it'll fit whatever they're looking for but that was a big lesson he learned as well thank you so much for sharing that 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an important lesson for young people as a whole. And, you know, it's something that, again, in the age of social media and, you know, we're so immersed in that, that I think, you know, there's this pressure sometimes to be like, well, this is what people want, or this is how I should be, or whatever field you're in. It doesn't really matter the field. It's almost sometimes now from a personal standpoint, I think young people feel that. And, you know, I hope to instill that into my kids is that like, you are you and that's perfect. And if it's not perfect for this person, it's going to be perfect for someone else. But most importantly, it should be perfect for you Mm -hmm. and how you feel Mm -hmm. and how you live your life, you know? So love that. Such great advice. So as we know, you didn't continue on in a part-time job on the on air (laughs) at $9 an hour and then working at Starbucks forever. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what happened next. Yeah. So after um, upstate New York, I um, got a job in Florida and, you know, it is an industry where you do move around quite a bit. So you're sort of, especially in those initial years, you're kind of looking for that next opportunity and a little bit bigger television market, you know, more eyes, more experience, um, you know, definitely tighter deadlines, more work, all of those things come with it. So I moved to Florida um, to an NBC station there that was a really competitive sort of mid-market um, station. And that's where I really cut my teeth in TV news. It was, you know, just a, it's a, it's a competitive, it was Fort Myers, Naples, and it's mm-hmm. a very competitive TV market, even to this day, um, for the size that it is. Um, and I loved it. I loved Again, just moving someplace I never thought I would live and kind of just diving right in and learning all about the community. And it was really nice to live in the Florida sunshine for a few years. <laughs> um, I was lucky enough to meet my husband there. We worked together at the station. He's a producer, um, still is to this day in the TV world. Um, and we really um, had a lot in common because we both grew up in New Jersey, only about 45 minutes from each other, both in like beach towns. And we really bonded, of course, over you know our passion for the industry we were in as well. And I, you know, to this day, admire his work so much. And um, it's been really cool to support each other through the changes in our careers and, and kind of watch each other grow. Um, and so, you know, I was there for a few years and he got a job in Philly um, at the NBC station. And I, you know, we kind of knew we wanted to get engaged. We were like looking to start this next chapter of our life. This was during the recession. So this was mm-hmm. like 2009, you know, and, you know, I, there were few, few and far between jobs at that point. And it was just like really hard to make a move. And he got really lucky with just this opportunity that he couldn't pass up. So I moved without a job Mm -hmm. and, you know, moved with him to Philly, which was one of the scariest things I had ever done. Um, I felt like I was at this stage of my career where like I needed to move on. I needed to grow, but I wasn't sure what the next step was going to be. And I had an agent at the time who was, you know, shopping me around all over the country to different stations and wanting me to take a job in Arizona and here and there. And I was just like, I want to be back in the Northeast. I really want to be closer to my family again. I knew I wanted to, you know, eventually marry my husband. We wanted to kind of just grow in life together and I didn't want to be that far apart. And so I moved to Philly and without a job and 
like set up meetings with all the news directors in town and like weaseled my way into the <laughs> station that my husband had started working at. And um, again, it was this idea of I'll, I'll do it all. Like I will, I want to be here. This is the station I want to work at. I want to learn from these people. It was a, a NBC owned and operated station. So that means it's one of the, you know, really premier stations in the country. And again, a lot of resources, a lot of eyes, a lot of opportunity. And I worked on the assignment desk. I did some like field producing. I worked on, they were launching like a full like digital second channel. And I was like, I'm, I'm in, I'll do whatever, you know. And I ended up being able to report there. Like, you know, within a few short months, I was reporting every week. I was on the weekend morning shows, the weekend morning reporter. Mm -hmm. And then I did the morning shows throughout the week as well. And some of the lifestyle show um, that we had there. So that was another sort of experience where it was equal parts terrifying and exhilarating because I was like, I know I can do this. Like as soon as I show them what I can do, I know I'm going to get more opportunities. And I did, but it was certainly not easy and it was certainly, um, you know, lots of butterflies in the stomach going to work every day feeling like, okay, I really have to prove myself here. This is the number four television market in the country. And I'm at that point, I think I was 20, let's say 2010, I was 28. So, um, you know, still young, still yeah. a lot to learn. Um, so that was a, a really amazing experience. And I was there for three years. And again, you know, the amount that I was able to learn in that time, looking back was just, I'm so grateful for. Um, I reported on um, Hurricane Sandy when I was there, which of course was like a huge story. Oh my gosh. And so emotional. The and particularly, yeah, really emotional. Yeah. Yes. Because it was, you know, impacted the Jersey Shore so much, which is where I'm um, um, so that was, you know, really just, um, a, a transformative time in my life. We ended up getting engaged and married <laughs> when we lived there, yeah. which was great. Um, and then we moved back to New Jersey in 2013 and I had the chance to work, um, in my home market covering my home state, um, at uh, News 12 New Jersey, which is a large cable station that covers all of New Jersey. And it was a job that I thought I would just maybe do one contract and stay for two years. And I ended up being there for six and a half years and becoming <laughs> one of the main anchors on the station and mm. covering all sorts of just really, you know, amazing stories um, in the state that I grew up in and care so much about. So it was really um, cool to be able to report on things and have, you know, my aunt call me or like my, you know, my college roommates, and, you know, all of that <laughs> and, and kind of be excited for me and, and watching along. So I, I, I really loved that. Um, and then, you know, it came time, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little more fully, to make a pretty major career transition. And, um, you know, it was a hard one. It was a hard decision. I spent over 16 years in news. Um, but as you can tell from what I've said so far, it's a pretty demanding job mm -hmm. and it's a pretty um, consuming industry. And I, really wanted um, a different kind of life for my family, big picture wise, and to be a more present mom. And so I made the decision to leave news um, four years ago, start my own business and 
sort of venture into the lifestyle side of television, which I was always interested in and had experience doing all that all that time because listen, you, you report in Philly, you can't get away with not covering Philly food and Philly sports <laughs> and you know, all things that sort of make the city tick, which mm-hmm. is a lot of sort of cultural stuff, um, which I adored and you know, kind of knew would be sort of my future focus down the line. And that's sort of what's led me to to this stage of my career. So I actually want to go back for a minute because I've had this conversation recently with both um, friends and clients thinking about the idea and the intersections between faith, fate, and agency. And you told the story of going from working down in Florida, following what you knew in your heart was the right thing to do is, is moving with Tony as he was starting a new job in Philadelphia. And, you know, you you kind of put all those pieces together at the same time, right? You didn't just like jump and see what happens. You really kind of, you you had faith that this was the right thing to do. You probably relied a little bit on fate. Like if this is meant to be, I'm going to end up with the right job in the right place, even though there was other people pulling you in different directions. But you really took a lot of wonderful agency to say like, listen, I know I have the skills. Let me show you what I've got and let's see if we can make this work. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that experience because it, it seems like, from what I know at least, this is this same kind of you know time point where you had a choice to make, where there was this little bit of a, a juncture that you can go in different directions, that you really kind of took those three things and put them together at different stages of your life. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that because I think that's such a scary place to be. You know, Jerry and I work a lot with young young adults either you know, going into college, coming out of college, trying to switch their career paths if they're not sure what to do. And they always are talking about, you know, I, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. I think I think I have the skills to do it, but there's so much uncertainty. And, you know, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about that, please. I love this question. And I don't think I've ever heard it quite put that way. And I, I really appreciate the way you've brought those sort of three you know, thoughts and, and kind of feelings and actions really, it's, it, mm. they're kind of, each of them are a little bit of all of that, you yeah. know, together. Um, it's so true. You know, you, like, I think about these pivotal times in my life all the time because, you know, had I not moved to Florida, I never would have met my husband. And yeah. listen, when I was considering even that move, Florida was like not on my radar at all. I was applying for jobs everywhere but Florida. And I had this um, this guy who was um, a friend of a friend who was in the business, who was a mentor. And, you know, I was kind of describing to him what I wanted to do and, you know, where I wanted to be. And he watched my tape and would critique it. And he had worked at this station that I ended up at in Florida. And he said to me, he's like, you need to be at this station. He mm-hmm. said, you know, the news director there was really tough, really tough but really good and made really good. Like some amazing people have come out of that station and gone on to do incredible things, including this particular man I'm speaking about who was at CBS at the network at at the time I was talking to him for a long time. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't really, I'm not really interested in moving to Florida. It's so far. It's away from my family, all these things. But I said, well, let me just go. Let me just see what happens. I'll just send the tape. There's no harm in sending it. And we'll just see. And 
you know, the news director wrote me back. We want to fly you down for an interview. And I'm like, oh, they want to fly me down. Like, this is so <laughs> fancy. You know, I was, because I mean, that did not happen for my first job. I was like, yes, please take me, please. You know, <laughs> and so they flew me down and, you know, they had me stay in a hotel. They gave me a company car to like drive around. I mean, I still got paid peanuts. <laughs> they pay you in Florida sunshine. But <laughs> the feeling when I went down there was what ended up having me, you know, uproot my life and move. It was just, I walked into the building and I knew that that was a place I could grow tremendously. Mm. I met a few people there that I instantly kind of like clicked with. And again, super scary, like moving to a place I knew no one. I had a, I had this, she's now one of my best friends in my life, but ironically enough, she was my very first intern in upstate New York when I was working there. I was 22 and she was like four months younger than me, but hadn't yet graduated college. Uh (laughs) So she was my intern and I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to teach you because I just started, (laughs) but like come along and help me. And we got to be friendly. And then sure enough, a few years later, she and I were moving to Florida at the same time because she had started at another (laughs) station. And so the news director was like, oh, there's another, you know, if you take the job, there's another girl, her name's Stephanie, she's moving too. And she's also from um, like the Northeast, she's from the Philly area. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know her. So there were sort of like all of these signs and feelings and things that I couldn't ignore that were like, take this chance, you know? Um, But again, you still have to make the decision. And same thing with Philly. It was just a mix of this feels right. This feels like I can do it. Um, but like, I still had to do a lot to make it happen. And I think that oftentimes that's where people get a little frozen in fear is the agency part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like the emotions come more into play and then the agency part of it becomes a lot harder when you have all of these feelings and fears sort of swirling around. Um, and I mean, I guess advice wise, you know, something that, again, I've always come back to is you can always come back. You can always start again. You can always say this is this wasn't the right choice. And I think that realizing that like nothing is forever, right? Even if it's a job, even if it's a move, you know, what I've told people who want to get into TV is that, you know, when I say take the first job you get, because like, okay, in the scheme of things, a year, two years of your life, it is a blip, mm-hmm. right? Like it is so quick. Yeah. And even if it's a hard situation, even if it, if even if you don't like it, you're unhappy there, you're still going to learn and grow from it. And in the grand scheme of your life, in the big picture of your life, a year or two, you're going to look back at it and 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 be able to look at it as a learning experience and a growing experience, even if it wasn't a good experience. Mm-hmm. So I will say that that's what kind of looking back, I think maybe I knew that deep down in my heart and, you know, still was really scared, but maybe that's what pushed me to, to kind of go for things. Yeah. Such good advice. Yeah. You, you know, we, we talked about this in the perfectionism episode that I think a lot of young people now have, um, probably always have, but I think more and more now have uh, this kind of all or nothing thinking, like everything's got to work out. Mm. And if it doesn't, it's a disaster. It's a catastrophe. 
And, uh, you know, you definitely see, come across, I think, as a perfectionist, but like in a way that's healthy, I think. Like, <laughs> I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to get better. I'm going to do the things and be open to that. I think that's what sustains people um, to, to do that. Um, and, you know, the other thing I want to say too is for parents, coaches, teachers, mentors out there, what you're saying, Marissa, is important for us as adults to keep in mind of our own journey so that when we talk to young people, we could empathize with them. And to remember, you know, like what that was like so that we can communicate in a way that really mm -hmm. helps them work through those emotions. You know, I think it's easy, you know, like let's say you're, you know, you're the best basketball player ever to live and you try to go coach a bunch of younger, you know, um, basketball players. And let's say you can't really remember what it's like to be at that level. You're going to coach mm -hmm. them in a way that's not going to be very helpful. You're not going to tap into, you know, what it's like when you were the, that age, when you were in that developmental stage. So, I, I you know, I love what you're saying. Yeah, I, and I try to think about that with my kids too. And, you know, remember that like, you know, little, what, what are seemingly like little things to them are really big things. And the same can be said for young adults, right? You know, so again, that idea of one year or like one day, even with my, like, you know, mm -hmm. my seven-year-old, like it's not the end, like you're going to have another day tomorrow, but like to be able to put it in a way that is on his level, right? Because every day feels super important. Every game, every, you know, test, you know. So um, I think you're you're spot on in that, you know, we have to kind of take it, take ourselves, take our adult selves out of the equation sometimes um, and just remember that. Yeah, it's, I think as we get older, we have the advantage of having more life to live. <laughs> we can see the big picture because there is a big picture. Yeah. And when you're younger, right. you only have so many so many years behind you. To, so everything seems very small. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, point, yeah. yeah, we have more data points as we get older. Marissa, I know we're going to get into some deeper stuff. But before we do, because I want to make sure I ask this um, for the athletes I work with who might be listening. Um, this is just some more practical advice because, um, you know, now they have what's called the NIL where college athletes can, um, basically get endorsements and they can put themselves out there in social media and be, you know, basically make money from having endorsements, which is, you know, helpful for athletes who, who need that and who are not getting, you know, the compensation they feel like they would want. So, um, I, I do think in life there's pros and cons to to most things, and it's hard to with cognitive dissonance. It's hard to like think at both think of both the pros and cons at the same time. So I'm always trying to do that as a therapist, psychologist. Like, what are both sides of it? Um, to just acknowledge it. So you know, what advice would you give to college athletes getting into that? In terms of, you know, I'm focused on more the mental health stuff, and you know, just how you know once you get engaged in this stuff, how it affects you mentally, psychologically, emotionally. What kind of advice would you would you give to you know college athletes who are probably new to doing something like that? It's probably either, they may have no you know nobody guiding them. They may be just be jumping into it or doing it, or maybe other people are coming to them, you know, trying to uh, you know be you know market with them and so forth. What, you, know, you don't have to get too in yeah. too much detail now. This is part of your practice, but what kind of advice would you? Yeah, give? this is such a great question too. Um, and again, I think that young people you know, these days, it, there's there's a lot of pressure with that comes with things like this, particularly with social media, because, you know, the comments and the reactions and, you know, it's hard as a young person in general to not take criticism to heart, right? It's, it's, it's just how it is. As you said, the more, you know, the older we get, we have more life experience. We, you know, we have a sort of a bigger lens to look at things through, 
But when you're, you know, 18 years old, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, being in that world and having just, you know, such a large influx of input into like day-to-day things in your life, you know, that you're sharing on social media, especially as someone who has so many eyes on them as a college athlete or young athlete. So I would say, you know, first in terms of like who, you know, like brands to align with and things like that, I would just say like, you know, again, what back to what Alexis said is like this idea of faith, faith and agency, I think applies to so much when figuring out different ways to to kind of advance yourself. And so like if an endorsement were to come to them that just didn't feel right for some reason, didn't feel authentic to them, was a little bit of a stretch, mm, would I really would I really like use this company if I, you know, they weren't coming to me? Like I think that that is like really really important to take into consideration because I think that it's very evident these days when someone is endorsing something in a public forum that you know that they themselves would not use, right? That's mm-hmm. where we get into this feeling of inauthenticity and phony and sort of just icky feeling, right? That that I think all of us as consumers of social media have had at some point. Um, so I would say, you know, considering that not necessarily with other people's opinions in mind, but just for it to feel good for you, right? Like, because at the end of the day, if it's a product or a partnership that you feel really great about, like if it's like, you know, a baseball player and the the brand of, um, you know, baseball pants that they've worn since they were a little kid comes to them as like, we want to endorse you. Like, obviously, like there's like a feeling there, right? There's this feeling of like, I'm attached to that. It makes sense. I can tell a story around it because I truly am like a passionate, you know, supporter of this company. Then that's going to feel good for you to put out into the world. And you're going to be able to better, I think, fend off any sort of negativity or look at it with a different lens if it's truly something that you love and feel good about. Now, if it's something that you're like, "Mm, I don't know about this, this feels little bit of a stretch and then you have negativity right like your your mental space is sort of different because this it's that feeling of uncertainty and questioning like mm, I don't know if this is right to start and then you get like you know a sort of influx of just bad juju you know mm-hmm. then then you're gonna feel you're I think you're gonna take it more to heart because you're gonna know deep down maybe this isn't the right fit. So that would just be one one piece I could offer. I'm sure that's really hard to do as an athlete where money comes into play, compensation, being able to really support your dreams and the lifestyle you want to have. Um, but if that if it were my child, that's what I would tell them. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. Um, definitely. And something else that comes up relative to what you're saying with being genuine to yourself is, you know, definitely college athletes and um you know, if they get a lot of publicity, you know, you can really get consumed by it where you're posting things for the likes versus, you know, you're getting mm-hmm. self-esteem from yourself or from the people who are in your inner circle. And uh, it's like a rabbit hole that I have found people can get into. And when they get pulled out of it and they pull themselves out of it, it's really a special experience where, you know, you can do both. You can have that and also maintain integrity and in kind of who you are and how you see yourself and how important that is. And 
you know, as social media blew up, this thought came to my head is like, um, being a celebrity seems really hard. As much as everybody mm-hmm. wants to be a celebrity and looks mm-hmm. up to celebrities, is like, oh, I wish I can be that. I imagine it's very hard to be famous. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like everyone's like famous now in their own way because they're public in mm. social media. Even people who are not elite athletes, even just the, you know, just a regular like you know high school student who's just putting content out. Uh, for whatever it is, that I just had this feeling of like, whoa, wait a minute, isn't it really hard to be famous? And now everyone's quote unquote famous in their own way. That seems like that's a lot of pressure and like hard for like this society as a whole to grapple with. I totally agree. I think about this a lot. And I think, you know, back to what Alexis said in the beginning, like there's certainly a lot of different sides to social media, both positive and negative. And it's something that I've struggled with throughout my career because it is a necessary part of business in in so many ways now. You know, whether you want it to be or not, if you want to have a thriving business that is growing and um, you know really keeping up with modern society, it's necessary to a certain degree, right? Obviously, it depends on the kind of industry you're in. For some, like me, it's more necessary than others, you know. Um, but there's a lot of pressure with it. I agree. Um, I try to, you know, take some time off and not. I, I certainly don't post. I think as much as I used to, um, and you know, again, it's like I. I think a lot about like what's to come with it. Like where will it go? And even for me, like where I want to go with my own social media presence and things I want to do maybe differently in the future, particularly as my kids grow and, you know, just uh, there's a lot and it's, it's a lot to, to think about and grapple with, as you said. And I think it's a, it's going to be a continual evolution um, in terms of like the likes and things like that. Again, I think it's easier for an adult like, you know, in middle age to think about more rationally than it would be for like an 18 year old kid, you know? So, um, it's just a tricky, it's a, it's a tricky landscape. That's only, I think, getting trickier, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like everybody is in a similar situation as you probably were at 22 being on TV with your face out there, right? Where people are noticing you and recognizing you. I think this happens more and more, especially for young people who are putting themselves out there. And I I wanted to bring up too that, you know, while you were going through your journey of, you know, living your dream of being a journalist and in the broadcast industry and being out there, you know, we talked a lot about your professional path, but you also had a very personal path that you were going through at the same time. And another reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because you are such a strong, incredible person. And I know that that's both a compliment and can be difficult to hear and to share because we don't always feel strong going through really hard moments in our lives. But I I believe that in you sharing so much of your story, especially about Charlotte and becoming a mother and raising a family while starting and growing a business all at the same time, it, it's it's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of emotion. It's a lot of teamwork, which I know you and, and Tony, your husband, 
have worked really hard at doing together and done it, in my opinion, gracefully. I'm sure probably it doesn't always feel that way. Um, but, you know, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that people often miss. And again, I appreciate you sharing parts of that because there are so many people out there that are listening or just people in general who are experiencing this every day. And, and the people I'm closest yeah. to right now are, you know, the educators and the mental health providers who have been going through it for years and trying to balance giving themselves to others while still taking care of themselves. And I wonder if you can share a little bit about your story because it's such a big part of your journey, who you are personally and professionally, I believe too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And yes, I mean, I think that um, living through like a personal tragedy publicly is a really sort of unique experience. And I mean, when I say publicly, um, you know, I, I was at the time um, that we lost our first daughter, I was um, back in New Jersey. So I was an anchor, um, as I mentioned, at News 12, um, again, covering my home state. So lots of people watching that I knew and, you know, over the course of my life from various points in my life. And then, of course, just, you know, viewers who had come to know me through my job. Um, and so I had been at the station for about like a year and a half. Um, we were, we had, we were pregnant with our first child, um, had a very normal sort of textbook pregnancy, um, really a great first pregnancy. And when our daughter was born, um, she wasn't breathing and there were, birth complications where she had aspirated meconium in the womb mm -hmm. and you know the birth itself was very traumatic like the, the the whole labor was normal like there were no signs of distress or anything so then when she was born and wasn't breathing it was like immediate panic and you know doctors whisked her away immediately and started working on her um, worked on her for about an hour and a half you know and and ultimately were not able to save her and um you know the, the the trauma of that experience in and of itself. Um, and then of course the, the grief um, that followed losing her, you know, was obviously the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and in many ways has transformed my life and really, you know, totally changed me as a person. Um, but, you know, having to, I, I mean, I was, I worked up until my due date. I anchored wow. a newscast the day before my due date with a very, you know, nine months pregnant belly and, mm. you know, like had my like farewell on air. And then, you know, obviously, you know, I, I came to back to work without a baby. Like we, you know, it wasn't something that I could like hide or pretend didn't happen. Um, and so you know, this station had to put out a statement that I had to craft when I was in the hospital oh, and just gosh. all of these, you know, all of these elements to it, um, to this very, you know, awful personal tragedy of losing our daughter that, you know, I had to sort of contend with being a public figure. Um, and I will say that I honestly remember like being in the hospital and being like, I just like, want to never talk. Like, I just never want to talk about this again. I, I want to pretend like it didn't happen. I didn't want anyone to know. Mm. I didn't want anyone to know the details of what happened. Like, those were the things going through my mind. But like, that wasn't even possible. Like, that's like the kind of state I was in where it was just like, I just want this to be over. Like, I just, you know, mm. and 
I mean, in the days that followed, like obviously, you know, you realize like you have to, you have to deal with things. You have to make arrangements. You have, you know, and I'm also recovering from birth, you know? So it's just this, I mean, it was, um, just to like, to think back on it now, I'm like, people often will say like, how did you get through that? Or how, and I'm like, I don't know. I honestly, so much of it was just like, just one, literally one second, one hour, and then one day at a time, because it was just um, hard to even, it's hard to even think back now, like how I did that. Like you're, you're sort of just like, in this days. Um, but I will say that when initially it was something that I was like, I want to hide. I, you know, I, it wasn't that I wanted to not talk about my daughter or acknowledge my daughter or acknowledge her existence or her impact on my life. And, you know, as like the start of our family, it was just like, I didn't, I didn't want to have to like field questions from people. And, you know, and what started off as that has like, as, you know, I went through this transformed into this, like, oh my gosh, like I need to talk about this. Like Mm. I am compelled and this is part of my life's purpose and part of her life's purpose to, to, to like open up this conversation. Mm. And so this was in 2014 where, you know, social media was not what it was now. And yet still I was able to like find other women going through this like pretty quickly mm. through social media, right? And, you know, look like searching for different hashtags and things on Instagram and, you know, just like friends of friends, you know, from all around the world, like connecting and saying, oh, I had this experience too. And then viewers, like, you know, when the station put this out, I had hundreds oh, and wow. hundreds of messages from, you know, people who were just, you know, so like graciously like sharing their condolences and their um, sympathy and empathy for what we were experienced, what we were experiencing. But so many women who had experienced something similar, some type of pregnancy loss, um, you know, traumatic birth loss, um, you know, infant loss, all sorts of different scenarios who were like, thank you for sharing what you have been through. Like, you know, when I went through this 20 years ago, like my doctor told me never to talk about it again, like just Mm. unbelievable things where you're, you just almost get like immersed in this world of like, why is no one talking about it? Why is no one sharing about it? Like it's, it's something that so many women go through. So many families go through, not even women, because men go, men go through these losses also. And that's even less talked about, right? The grief of a father, um, so it, it it really just was this situation of at first, like this is not something I had no choice other than to, you know, sort of be open with it. And while I felt like really sort of angry about that at first, it's become something that I'm really grateful for because it has helped me in my healing. It has helped me um, again, like feel connected to, to Charlotte and, you know, has given her life sort of like purpose in a larger sense to me, which I think is such a gift and something that I, you know, really have grown to feel is very special. Yeah. And there's few sunsets I see that I don't think of you and Charlotte. 
And I, I remember mm. seeing you a few months after all that happened. And I, I'm, I'm crying hearing you tell the story again. And I mean, I just wanted to ask you, because for me, even knowing what I know and being trained as I have, it's hard for me to know exactly how to show up for people going through something like this. And I wonder, I'm sure others feel similarly where you want to do everything. I'm a problem solver and I'm a, you know, somebody who wants to swoop in and help people all the time. And sometimes that's not what's needed. And I'm curious if, yeah. if you can share a little bit about for you, what, what was most helpful as you went through that? I, I- I think this is so important to talk about. So thank you for asking this. And I, I will say like we had um, some really incredible mental health support that really like saved us during that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had an incredible therapist who specialized in loss and transition. Um, she was a perinatal um, counselor in a hospital for many years. She had gone through losses herself. But just coming back to that lens, right? Like that, that you know, other perspective. I, I even saw it so much in play at that time in my life because she was in her 60s. She had suffered two um, like second trimester losses that were, you know, mm. really traumatic and significant and had seen so many other families through their own losses so her being able to give us that wider lens, that bigger picture, not in a way to dismiss what we were going through, but to almost like put into context a little bit, you know, the way that this would shape our lives, mm. it, you know, I, I think was just such a gift. And I, I still think about her. We've sort of lost touch over the years, but she was, her name was Lynn. She was just an amazing, amazing mental health professional and person. Um, And, you know, one of the things that she kind of talked about, because I I think at first when someone's experiencing, you know, really profound grief, um, there's anger involved in it. And sometimes, you know, I would be angry or not even angry is maybe the, the wrong word just really upset by the way some people responded to us in that very, very tender time. Mm. The overwhelming vast majority of people in our lives were incredible. I mean, we had, I think, meals for close to three months after Charlotte died, just friends from all over the country sending us breakfast baskets and gift cards and, you know, setting up, you know, donating in her memory, setting up just all of these beautiful ways to like show us that they were there for us. And so I will preface this by saying that that is what I truly remember about that time. And Mm. it was almost just like, I just have never, I've never felt that amount of love and support in my life. And it was up until that point. And I felt it many times since then, but it was just this, you know, the people in our lives really showed up for us in, in amazing ways. But I will say that, you know, one of the things we talked about with our therapist was despite all of that, there are still sort of like comments and actions um, that, you know, more deeply impact you when you're in a space of vulnerability, right? Like Mm -hmm. something small or like a, a comment or a reaction or like something that someone does when you're in this space of just like feeling like your life has fallen apart, right? Whatever that looks like, whatever that experience is, um, 
you really like have to dig deep to give people grace. And, Mm. um, you know, she would always say that like the way people deal with grief often comes from like their own uncomfortability about it and obviously has nothing to do with you. You know, like they, people want to be supportive. They want to say the right thing. They want to fix, they want to, you know, but a lot of times people just don't know how to do that. And you're right in the sense that like, as a person going through it, it is really hard to like keep that in mind. But I really tried to just focus on things that made me feel good in the little moments day to day. And also not only give grace to other people, but give grace to myself and sort of take the pressure off. So like if there was a situation or a person or an event that I felt like this is not going to make me feel good, like, you know, baby showers. Um, There were people at work who I worked with who were pregnant around the same time as me. And I just like gave, I just separated myself a little bit from certain scenarios in my life that I knew were going to be triggering or hard. Um, And if there was someone, you know, for example, who I knew, you know, had said like something that like hurt or, you know, just made me like think about it all day afterward. Like, why did they say that? That made me feel bad or whatever. You know, you just have to sort of remove yourself and not in a a mean way or a way that makes the other person feel bad or even notice, you know, Mm -hmm. but just sort of protect your own heart a little extra. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, you know, that's the way I dealt with it. That year we didn't, we didn't really celebrate Christmas. Like we, you know, I was doing September and so we had thought so much about like her first Christmas. Like I had like a little Christmas outfit, mm-hmm. like, you know, all this stuff. We didn't put up a tree that year. We didn't really like do like Christmas with our extended families much. I think, I mean, we were with my parents and Tony's parents, but like we didn't like do like gift exchanges. Like we just couldn't, we really couldn't. And that was like maybe a decision not everybody understood or agreed with, but like it's what we had to do, you know? So I guess that I I think that might be the advice is that, you know, both for people going through it and also, you know, someone helping someone through it is just like, be okay with the decisions that they make and, you know, give them permission to make the decisions that feel right for protecting their heart at the time, even if it may not feel right to you. Yeah. I think a very underutilized skill in these moments is to just ask a question. Right. Right. Absolutely. And just sit, sit with it. Like Mm. that was something too. I think, I think going through this was the first time I heard the term hold space. Mm. And I think that, you know, now we hear it a little more often, but I think that's such a valuable skill that I never had before like going through this myself. I always was like, I wanted to relate to the person. And I think that that's just my nature as being like a talkative, curious person is sort of like jumping right in with a suggestion or have you tried this? And like, that is often not what people need. And I think Mm -hmm. it took me going through this to know that like, sometimes people just need you to be there and hold space for what they're feeling. Yeah, it's so important. Uh, And across a lot of situations. And I'm I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Marissa, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, it's it's just so emotional to hear something like this. It's actually the second time I've heard something like this. Um, 
in the past month, which is really uh, ironic, actually the third time. Um, you, um, is there anything that you feel like you did that was sort of a ritual or something you did for yourself um, throughout the time, and maybe that changed over time throughout your process? But was there anything that you know you kind of went to that sustained you, or just gave some healing or catharsis uh, through this time of your life? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of things. I think that, you know, being sort of okay with, um, you know, other people maybe not agreeing with the way that you grieve. Um, I, I think up until losing Charlotte, um, I, I guess I I wasn't as comfortable with like when other people didn't sort of like agree with the decision I was making or like how I was, exp- not even a decision, that's maybe the wrong word maybe how I was expressing myself, right? Like I was always like very careful with my words. And part of that is like, listen, I was in a public facing career. I had a responsibility as a journalist to be careful with my words. But like, I think that it was like, again, I felt this pull that like, this is important for me to share and share the rawness of it. And, you know, and like not every people might be like, oh my God, she's like pouring her heart out or like who asked her or what, I sort of just like let that go in a way that I had never before done in my life. Mm. And I think that that sort of carried on throughout my life because I've spoken, you know, about being pregnant after loss, parenting after loss, Mm -hmm. you know, challenges of motherhood, all of these other pieces um, in a way that had I not lost my daughter, had I not lived through this very, you know, traumatic thing, I don't know that I would be that person, you know? Um, And so I don't know if it's a ritual, but maybe just, again, a way that I gave myself permission um, to just be and like let go of opinions and other people's input, um, you know, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you made meaning out of it in the way that felt right to you rather than someone else trying to make meaning for it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, again, I think it goes back to like, giving yourself permission to do what you need to do and like not, not focus on what other people think. And look like that can be really hard, especially with like parents and, you know, close family and, you know, they, they, they care about you. And so they're, you know, maybe sometimes weighing in in a way that it's, is well-meaning, but like having to just like separate yourself a little bit from things like that and just do what you know is going to protect your own heart I would say that is something that I really learned to do for the first time in my life through living through this. Um, And, you know, being okay with saying no, like if you just can't take something on or you don't have the bandwidth or the emotional capacity to put yourself in a situation, like you don't have to, you know? And I think that this was the first time in my life where I realized that and um, was able to say, like, you know, putting my own emotional well-being first is not like a selfish thing. It it doesn't mean you don't care about other people in your life. It means that you have enough of a sense of self and enough, you know, value in your own um, well-being as a person to really recognize that that's important to do. And it's really necessary to do to live your life and to be able to withstand, you know, the things that life throws at you. So Maris, there's, there's so much that we can talk about here together and hopefully you'll come back on the, on the podcast and we can talk more about 
your path and your journey because there's so much more that you do even now to this day. So Maris, I, I really appreciate you sharing just a part of your journey. I know there's so much more to talk about and you and I have talked about you know these changing roles as we go through different chapters of our lives and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast to talk a little more about that and the work you're doing today. But you know, I'm just, I'm so grateful for us to have this platform to share both your story and to kind of dive deeper into understanding what life is like, you know, when you have a passion, when you have a dream, when you have something that you know you're called to do, when you take that risk, when you take that jump, when you find that combination of, you know, leaning into to fate and faith and having some agency and all of it. I, I think it's such a inspirational story to share with others. And I'm grateful to have you as a part of my life and to have you here on this show. And I I just want to rewind back for a moment too, because we talk about this so often, both in our work and every day and also here on the podcast, that sometimes some of the greatest challenges end up shaping our lives that we could have never imagined. And being able to balance some of these great challenges and and tragedies that you've experienced in such a public way and being able to turn it into what's known in the field as post-traumatic growth, really finding your passion and your purpose and figuring out how it fits into the grand scheme of the world and really honoring Charlotte's life and, and her own purpose in this world is such a beautiful thing and it shines through in all you do. It shines through in the way you are raising your children today and the way you help to support not only other mothers, but other families and other professionals in the broadcasting world and in the media world. And you just continue to give back, you know, despite some of these things that could have really knocked you down. And and it's so inspirational and I'm, I'm so grateful to have you in my life and in my world and we're grateful to have had you here today. So thank you, Marissa. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk through all this and I um, I totally agree with what you said is that, you know, while I don't like the phrase, everything happens for a reason and I will say that is one not to say to people, you know, going through <laughs> your grief and, and tragedy. But I will say that, you know, while I, I'll never find a reason, right? Like why my daughter died or why we lost her. But I have been able to find a purpose in my life, you know, after that and, 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 you know, how that sort of shaped me, that, that experience and her existence has sort of shaped me as a mother, as a person, as a woman, um, as a friend, I mean, as a daughter, all of these things. So I, I appreciate you saying that because I do feel that, again, it just, it changed every lens I had about the world and really opened my eyes to just that everyone has something in this life that they go through that is difficult. I mean, no, no one comes out of life having never gone through something really challenging and, and hard. And so no, I think that to me, that is the purpose is that, you know, it, it, it just gave me this, this sort of bigger view into, you know, empathy and, and compassion and being as understanding as I can be that you never know what someone is going through in their life. Yeah. I, I think more people need to understand and, and own that a little bit because if we can see each other as just 
humans and souls navigating through this world, trying to figure it out as we go, and we can empathize with each other a little bit more, I think we all will feel a little bit better as we navigate through this journey together. So thank you for being a part of Read Connected today. And we love you. (laughs) We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas, but it is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you are in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, local hospital, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, theory, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but it's not intended to represent opinions of those we work with or who we are affiliated with. The Reconnected podcast is hosted by siblings Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed. Original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. Editing and recording was done by Cybersound Studios. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reconnected podcast will be releasing new episodes every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. Feel free to also follow us on Instagram at Podcast. That's Read Connect Ed podcast and Twitter at Read Connect Ed. We are grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meanwhile, be curious, be open, and be well. Mm-hmm.